Lord Jesus, um, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear uh, your words. We want to we see what you have to see. Pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth. Lord, and I pray that you'd speak to us and let us know what we need to do. Sure, and pray. Amen. All right, so uh, 1984, then President Reagan um, on, uh, he proclaimed uh, that January 22nd would be known as National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And he didn't choose January 22nd as an arbitrary Sunday. Rather, it was uh, in commemoration of what happened just uh, 11 years before that. In 1973, uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruled on uh, Roe v. Wade and uh, made abortion legal in all 50 states. So today... Uh, in commemoration of uh, National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, it's not exactly the 22nd, but it's now the Sunday that's closest to that date. And today we're, we're, we're talking about pro-life. We're, t- we're talking about what, what God has to say about, about life and all that. But before we get too far in the message, I, I just want to start with a quick question. Start with a quick question. Pull out your bulletins. I, you know, I want you to write down a little bit of something about why it is, why do you consider yourself to be pro-life? If you are. So if you are pro-life, why do you consider yourself to be that way? Some of your answers might be something like, you know what, I, I think uh, abortion ends a human life. That, that's, that's why I think it's wrong. Or, or maybe it's something like, I, I believe that the baby girl or boy, the unborn, is defenseless. And, and the, the, the church, we need to do something about that. Or maybe it's something a little more practical. Maybe like, you know what, it was so difficult for us to get pregnant. Or maybe we never did. We don't take that process very lightly, and we think it's a foolish thing to do to end it on our own because it was so tough for them. On the other hand, you know what? I'm not ignorant. I know that with a group this large, not everybody in here is what they call themselves pro-life. Maybe they consider themselves pro-choice. Or maybe um, maybe like being pro-life is important, the life of the baby is important, but there, there might be some exceptions that might have been necessary. And so what, today, what, the, the, the direction we're heading is not why it's wrong, which I'll give you a biblical foundation for what, what, what God thinks about life, but to kind of say why. Why do we believe this? Why is it important? And, and, and strengthen our, our beliefs in that way. So... Um, among Christians, I think the, the pro-life topic doesn't get talked too, too much. It's just kind of a, a divisive thing. It's kind of like a black or white type of thing. Either you don't or you, or you do. And it's, like I said, it's kind of divisive. And we, we kind of shy away from it. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that, that Christians do that is because the, the culture kind of has us fooled a little bit. They, they think, you know what, we should talk about it, but pretty much once every four years, or, or whenever candidates are up for re-election. That, that's when we need to really consider it. Or, or maybe uh, the culture has told us, you know what, the Supreme Court, they are the law of the land. They're, they're the top. They said it. There's nothing we can do to change that. It's just, it's just reality. We need to get used to it. And, and another thing that culture, I think, tries to teach us is like pro-choice, pro-life. Those are political issues. You know what? I know at, at Crestview... If you've been here for any length of time, we don't just jump on political issues. I mean, if we did, then like President Trump's Twitter account would probably write the next 1,700 sermons that Devin's going to preach, right? right? It's, we don't jump on political things here. That's not who we are. 
However, the more we've looked into it, life isn't a political issue. Life is a theological issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a moral issue. And that's why we're chatting about today. Like I said, I I don't think that everybody in this this audience is on the same page. Boy, if, if there's a little... I just want everybody to keep an open mind as as we chat about this, as we kind of dialogue about how we're going to look at this. Like I said, politics, we don't do politics at Crestview. Because I can say with like 100% certainty, both parties are going to fail me. Right? Republican Party, not the great hope of the world. Democratic Party is not the great hope of the world. Supreme Court, no. America and all of our freedom, That's not it either. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great hope. And the only true meaning of justice and hope that we have is through him. Uh, He's our king of kings and lord of lords. He's never been up for re-election, yeah? He's never begged anybody for their vote. He's it. So we're going to go ahead and start off and look at the the Bible. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but we we need a foundation to work off of. We have a couple uh, biblical convictions that, that, we found, that we find in the scripture. The first one is found in uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Follow along. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So here's David. He's writing this down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaking on behalf of God. If you were to ask David, you know what, David, when does life begin? If you look back at that scripture, verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you. I was made. I was woven together. My unformed body. He's like, I, I, my, me. That was me. It it wasn't when I was born, but in my mother's womb, at the very beginning, that is when life began. And not incrementally throughout, but life begins at the very beginning. Life begins at conception. That's our our first biblical uh, conviction there, that life begins at fertilization. What I'm saying, you're like, that's great, the Bible says that, but you know, science backs this up. I mean, much proof has been done about what happens when that fertilization takes place. A a miracle, the spark of life occurs. When they come together, a a unique strand of DNA is formed, different than the dad, different than the mother, and, and in that spark, it defines who that life is going to be, who, who God has created them to be. It, it defines their, their eye color, hair color, height, health, uh, gender. All those things are all wrapped up even before the baby is implanted in the womb at conception. It, it, it's a miracle. And it's happened to all of us. And it's, it's a separate and distinct human being. So, so biology recognizes what we all do. You know, I mean, biology, when it comes to animals, that 
when they're trying to breed animals, they're, they're trying to replicate that spark, that, that life that comes at fertilization. So I'll go ahead and say it. When it comes to abortion, when it comes to, no matter the circumstances of, of the conception, no matter the financial situation of, of the parents, no matter the health of the, the mother or the child, abortion always ends the life of a human. Always. Abortion is the murder of a person. Man, I, I, I want to say that with humility and boldness. I mean, it, it is, like I said, it, it is not a gray thing. It is a black, it is a white. That's what it is. And in America, even more so, and since 1973, just in America, 60 million, 60 million children have been lost to abortion. And if, if, that, if that number weighs heavy on your heart, it, that's what it needs to. It's huge. And again, I say this with humility. I'm not ignorant to know, to know in a group this large, there are people here today that, that have had uh, an experience with abortion, either encouraging it or know someone they love or themselves taking place. And I just want to tell you, Jesus, he wants to forgive. If you have not been forgiven already, if, you're, if you've been carrying around that, that guilt or that grief or that pain, he wants to take it, nail it to his cross, leave it there. He wants to forgive you like he wants to forgive me, and he does. If you need help working through that process, you know, myself or one of the uh, pastors on staff would love to chat with you about that. So our first biblical conviction, life begins at fertilization, leads us to the second one, and it's this. Humans are made in the image of God. Humans alone are special because we are the image bearers. God made us special. It wasn't our design, it was his. And he states it very clearly in Genesis chapter 1, the first, first chapter of the Bible. He says, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God says early on that humans, they, they are on a different level. They are made special. They are given value because that's who God says we are. But there's rest of creation, and then set apart from that is us. It's humans. Our life should be protected, human life should be protected more than the whales. Human life should be protected more than the dogs. You know, you've seen those commercials on TV. You're like, oh, the dogs. But human lives are way above it. And even more than gorillas. You know, a couple years ago, Harambe, yeah? My condolences to him. However, that boy that was down there with him is so much more valuable than that gorilla. Am I right? Again, I'm not trying to convince you that, that, that abortion is wrong, that life is, is right. Rather, kind of strengthen our beliefs on that, the why. Why is that the case? Why should there be an exception to that? Why is, why are we made, why is the image of God so important? So I want to, um, uh, uh, I've invited today to have us join us.
Uh, his name is Bruce, and he came from Wichita, Kansas today, or yesterday for this weekend to talk to us about this, these exceptions. Uh, he's the director of Personhood Kansas, and Personhood Kansas is an organization that is committed to uh, helping change the, the uh, Kansas Constitution by an amendment saying that you know, life begins at conception, and you know what? All life has the right to live with no exceptions. So um, uh, Bruce, he's a Kansas native, been married to the same woman for 50 years. Um, he's been a, a leader in the pro-life community for, for many years, and he's also my dad. So can you guys welcome Bruce, please? So really quick, as we're getting set up here, um, I get to tell a little story about dad, yeah? <laughs> now that I got, I got the mic on here. Um, so uh, I can remember uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, we didn't agree on everything. Go figure, yeah? And uh, it was at that time, I knew that he was wrong. You know, he was wrong on many occasions when I, was teen- when I was a teenager, but this one was for sure he was wrong on. And it, I was upset about something, and after we'd split up, I was going to walk downstairs, and under my breath, I called him a name. I said, dork. <laughs> and uh, he heard me say something across the room, going down the stairs, under my breath. He said, what did you call me? I said, a dork? He said, yeah, I'm okay with that. Go on. <laughs> well, if Jared gets to tell a story, I get to tell a oh. story. So uh, I think some of you know uh, Jared's youngest, Turner. Well, Turner and uh, Jared were traveling uh, to some location, and Jared said, Turner, who's better, me or granddad? <laughs> he said, Turner thought for a minute, and he said, sorry, dad. Granddad all day long. <laughs> yeah, Dad has him fooled, I think. So, uh, so you have a chance. Uh, I want to give you guys a chance to get to know uh, my dad like I know him. I'm going to ask him uh, a few questions before we jump into the, the why part of our, our discussion today. So, um, uh, what's uh, how did you get involved in the in the pro life movement? Like, what sparked that for you? Uh, some of you may or may not know that back in 1991, there was quite an event in Wichita, uh, now referred to as the Summer of Mercy, and it was kind of a spontaneous thing. Back then, there were four abortion clinics in Wichita. One of them was directed by a George Tiller, uh, who was uh, taking the lives of babies in the fourth, uh, uh, third and fourth trimester, and, and uh, or third trimester, and and uh, and so. Uh, kind of a spontaneous thing happened. Ended up thousands of people are in Wichita. Many of them were arrested. There was a pastoral congregation of a hundred pastors who turned out. My pastor was one of the leads in that. And so we, as our church, we got involved in that. And then I had a dear friend, uh, Clyde Krug, who's now with the Lord, and he helped me and grow in that. And so at that time, we began going to the clinic and praying and being more and more actively involved in the pro-life effort. So a, a lot of your effort uh, goes towards uh, uh, Kansas and focus on Kansas. Um, I read recently that Kansas is, is known uh, in the states as being one of the, one of the top five pro-life states in America. So what, what, is, what does abortion look like in, Ameri- in Kansas today? Well, the, the reason we have such a high ranking is because of so many incremental laws that we've passed to try to make abortion more difficult for the abortionist than the industry. Uh, and and we, we've probably taken that about as far as we can. Uh, since 1971, when the first time that Kansas uh, had a law allowing for abortion, uh, we've had uh, 
uh, over 450,000 abortions in Kansas uh, by, of those that have been reported. Uh, last year, nearly 7,000 uh, abortions in Kansas at the three remaining abortion clinics, two in Kansas City, one in Wichita. And uh, so that averages out about 20, 20 a day, uh, every day, seven days a week. So I'm not sure we have too much to be proud of. Okay. So, uh, like, like I said, I, I brought him, a uh, person of Kansas is about uh, providing life from fertilization without exceptions. Um, I, I did want to just have a, an open discussion on what those, discussion, what those exceptions uh, are and, and how, as Christians, do we answer people who, who come to us saying, you know, what, well, what about this? What about this? And, and, and questions we have ourselves. Um, the first one is, uh, some would argue that maybe abortion should be allowed before the heart starts beating because, you know, heart, well, beating heart means life, and that's, that happens at eight weeks. What would be our response to that? Well, part of the strategy so far over the last 45-plus years has been to try to kind of, like I said before, incrementally restrict, limit, restrict, and limit abortion uh, by passing laws that have to do with parental approval or a judge's permission or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but uh, uh, what's really kind of happened is, is that we've, We've concluded that's the way we're going to do this. The, the problem with it is, is whenever you say you can, you can kill this people at this stage, the implication is that you can't kill them at this stage. The implication is you can at this stage. And if you look at this, uh, uh, look at this chart that Steve's put up behind me, uh, this is kind of 32 different boxes of the process in which uh, the, the human uh, grows. Okay, it's, it's growing, it's alive, and it's growing, and this is a human being. And if, as you look at it, and I want you to pick out just one of those in there, you might say to yourself, geez, that, that doesn't look like me. I mean, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, I mean, I, I don't identify with these pictures you put up here. You know, I don't, that's not me. Why, well, sure it is. It is you, isn't it? Weren't you, wasn't that you once? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that you one time? I mean, whatever picture you're looking at, wasn't that you? Didn't you look like that? So, so would you have wanted somebody to take your life at that stage? No, you wouldn't have wanted that. And if the unborn could speak, that's what, that's what the unborn would tell you. Give me a chance. Somebody gave you a chance to live, to have a life, and, and that's, that's what's going on here. So even though they may not look like us, these unborn children are growing and developing, and, and given the chance, will grow up into people who contribute into the society that they're in. And uh, absolutely, uh, is the uh, unborn uh, less developed than we are now? But uh, an, an argument that I've seen is you know, a four-year-old young girl is less developed than a, than a 14 young lady when it comes to uh, size, re- reproductive things. And just because there's levels of development doesn't mean that person is any less of a human or, or right to life. So that's, that's good. So uh, one of the arguments I've heard is like, um, well, sh- shouldn't, like, since the, the, uh, the fetus is dependent upon the mother uh, until the, the level of viability outside the womb, shouldn't it be okay to have an abortion then? Okay. You, what you're asking me is if the, if the child can't make it on its own uh, outside the womb, then... Uh, Maybe abortion is okay at that. That's right. Well, if you think about it, uh, when we were born, 
we couldn't survive outside the womb without assistance, could we? I mean, we couldn't go get food. We were helpless. And so the, really the only difference is, is just a few minutes of time from a time that we were helpless in the womb to a time that we were kind of helpless outside the womb, right? Somebody has to feed us and take care of us and, and manage our lives for many years. And so, you know, the argument really doesn't hold up that says just because the child can't be taken out of the womb and, 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 and survive, it, it's okay to have an abortion really doesn't hold water because neither could we when we were first born. Uh, the way I heard it was, uh, imagine it was you and a toddler next to a swimming pool and you saw the toddler fall in. It, it was up to you to save the toddler's life. Does the toddler become less valuable as a person because they're dependent on you for their survival? I, I think the answer is absolutely not. And it, the, the same argument goes for the unborn when it comes to living inside the mother. Um, Another question, uh, you know, surely abortion is okay if it's going to save the life of the mother. I mean, if we're truly pro-life, then we need to be as, as adamant about the life of the mother as we are the, the baby. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, we hear that quite a bit. You know, I mean, I think that some, that people feel like that's a strong argument for why there should be some exceptions. In other words, there should be instances where we allow or permit abortion. Uh, some of you probably too young to remember the uh, C. Everett Coop who was the Surgeon General in the United States. And at that time, he said about this issue, in my 36 years in pediatric surgery, I've never known of one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the life of the mother. Think think about that a minute. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that a doctor should go in and try to save the life of both the mother and the child, but in some instances, the child dies because they can't, can't save both of them. That's not abortion. So you'll know. Abortion is directly going in and killing the baby. And, and, and the, the, the question becomes, why would you take the time to go kill the baby when, in fact, you should be spending your time saving the mother's life? So, you know, for the most part, that's really not a particularly good argument because in, in cases like this, to save the life of the mother, the baby's never intentionally killed it may die as a consequence, and that's a scary and sad thing. Um, uh, there, um, one of the things that, that I've heard was, uh, you know, surely it might be necessary if, uh, if the health of the child is, is, uh, is in question. Like uh, maybe the, the child had uh, a rare disease or would, would die minutes after birth or possibly has Down syndrome or some other thing that would inhibit a full and happy life, I guess. You know, that argument really suggests that before it's born, it's not a person, or it's not as much of a person as you and I are. I mean, that's what that simply implies. Think about it this way. Would we permit in our society to kill the baby after it's born? Well, you say, no, we wouldn't do that because that's illegal, and, and that's something that shouldn't happen. Why should it be any different for the unborn child? who's living and developing and growing. So, but, but secondly, we don't know what God's plan is. I mean, I've had people talk to me out in the hallway already and say, hey, this was supposed to happen and it didn't happen. The baby was supposed to die. This thing was supposed to occur and it didn't happen. And now my cousin or wife or friend have had a long and wonderful life. Look at this man here, Vic. Nick Vizuzic. Nick Vizuzic. <laughs> Look at him. 
when Nick was born this way, no arms, no legs, and, and it was so hard for him to live in this world that when he was eight years old, he decided that he was just going to roll over in the bathtub and, and kill himself. Six inches of water, he was going to roll over and drown himself. And, and, and why didn't he? Well, because his parents told him he was special. His parents told him he was beautiful. His parents told him he had value, and he began to believe it. He's 29, married, has a child, has two businesses, one for profit, one for not for profit. He's spoken before Congress five times. Hold your hand up when, you're, when you've done as much as he has, okay? He, he's spoken to seven presidents. He's spoken to groups as large as 110,000. And he's had 30,000 requests to speak. What a life, huh? God had a plan for him. Hmm. One of the additional plans is for him to connect with young human beings who have the same issues that he has. No limbs. But that's the kind of God we serve. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Isn't it the kind of God we serve that wants to do something like that? That wants to show what he can do through us? even though maybe we don't look like somebody else or, or have some problems physically or whatever. He's powerful, and he wants to show us that. It's like uh, hearing that a loved one of ours uh, would only have like three months to live and saying at the beginning, you know, I know there's going to be suffering, so we're just going to go ahead and cut your life short now. We, we would never consider doing that. We, our plan would be to make every moment count. From, from that time until God ordains. The same goes for, for children. If, if the, the doctors are saying, you know what, this, this child cannot live outside of the womb. It'll die within minutes. Make the most of those, of those minutes. Not, not cutting it short before it's time. Uh, for me, uh, one, one of the most difficult things to talk about is what about abortion in cases of rape? I mean, it is... Horrific, and man, isn't it kind of heartless if we expected a, a woman to carry? So that is really difficult because we know what a heinous crime rape is. I mean, it's it degrades. It, it's uh, it's it's a terrible, terrible thing. And 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 I don't want anything that I would say to minimize what I believe the impact of that is. But I think a couple of things that we need to consider when we think about those instances is number one. Does it make sense to kill the baby for the act of the father? Because that's exactly what we're deciding to do. We're saying the father is, is the one who needs to be punished, but we're, we're punishing the innocent child in that instance. But, but you might ask, well, what about the innocent woman who has to carry the baby that far? And, and, and that is a, a huge issue. And I think, uh, based on some experiences and conversations I've had with ladies who've had a, abortion, I mean, who've, uh, who've, who've carried the baby full term, there's a, there's a feeling of accomplishment, a feeling of, 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 uh, of what they've done as being a good thing, mm -hmm. especially when they see their children grow up. These three ladies here, and there's many, many more, uh, are, are, uh, uh, their, their mothers were raped, and their mothers carried them full term. And on, on Rebecca Keesley on the left, her mother put her up for abortion, uh, I'm sorry, adoption after she was born. And she uh, is a huge uh, pro-life advocate, goes around the country speaking to people, 
uh, has her law degree, and has it really made a, a major difference. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to what I said before. God can do amazing things. And I know that these three ladies think about Mother's Day probably every day yeah. because they know the sacrifice that their mother paid in order for them to be alive today. So I have one last question for you. Uh, it's, uh, abortion in, in America has been going on for 45 years, 60 million. Um, what, what, what do we do to end? Like, what's it going to take? Well, for the most part, for the last 45 years, with few exceptions, we've kind of left this, uh, this battle, this fight, this spiritual battle to parachurch organizations I belong to Operation Save America. There's Kansans for Life. There's a lot of what I call parachurch organizations. They're certainly connected with churches, but they're not churches themselves. Or politicians. You know, we've kind of said, as Jared talked about earlier, you know, it's a political issue. Let's vote pro-life and, and move on. But, but the fact of the matter is, I believe, and, and I think Jared supported this in the early part, it's, it's a church issue. It's, it's, a, it's a Christian issue. It's, it's an issue that says we have to do more than wait or vote for a politician. We have to get involved. We, uh, a, a dear friend of mine and, and, a, and a pastor says that abortion will end in America when the Church of Jesus Christ decides it will end and not one second before. Abortion will end in America when the Church of Jesus Christ decides it will end and not one second before. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be brought into conflict with child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. I mean, it, we have to be willing to stand. I mean, we have to be involved apart from voting, voting for some pro-life uh, politician or, or, or anything like that. And that means being there. Jared's going to talk to you more about that. But, but we have to, we can't be waiting for somebody else to solve this problem for us. It's for us to do and, and to the glory of God. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Can you guys, uh, thank you. If you want to uh, have, a, have a, a, more of a chat, with my dad, he'll be out in the lobby for as, for as long as you need. Um, uh, the the website that, of his organization, uh, personhoodkansas.org, personhoodkansas.org, and it's, it's just to ensure life, uh, beginning at fertilization without exceptions to all of our uh, Kansas brothers and sisters. But we need to change uh, the question. We've been asking the, the why side of things. You know, why not exceptions? Why, uh, why do we believe what we do? Why is all life important and valuable? Um, to one last question, a simple one. It's a what. what. What do we do? If the church is the answer, what do we do about it? Um, Isaiah chapter 1, uh, God has some firm, firm words that, uh, that Isaiah wrote down, and they were words for uh, Solomon and Gomorrah. Uh, I'm not saying that, that America is that. However, the, the, the application part of it can, can really show us what we, what we need to do when it comes to things in America. He starts off in verse 12 by saying, when you come to be, appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless, meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. He's saying, you know what, you're coming before me. You're singing the songs. You're lighting the candles. You're, you're burning the incense. I don't want it. He says, I don't want it. He says, goes on 14. He says, your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of, bur- of burying them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. He says, you know what? You come before me, you're gathering together, you're giving prayers, you're, you're, you're intending. But I want to cover my eyes, I want to cover my ears. I don't want to listen to them. The answer, the, the question, it begs the question, why? He goes on to say to these cities, he says, you know what? Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. So I'm going to go ahead and break down those last couple verses there. He says, you know what, your hands are full of blood, and you know what, is a difficult thing to think about, but 60 million has, has died on our watch. I mean, maybe you weren't the cause of it, but those lives... Are, 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 we need to feel an obligation to that. Their, their deaths, in part, are on our hands. He goes on to say, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. And it is simply, you know what, we need to confess. Confess our sins. If we're apathetic, if we've been apathetic about life, if uh, we've had wrong beliefs, confess about that. If we've had an abortion or encouraged an abortion or not thought that was off the table, man, he, he wants to hear it from us. The second part follows that up. It says, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what's right. The Bible, the, the Bible word for this is repentance. It is turning from our way, making a U-turn, and going God's way. It's stopping what we're doing and start doing what God wants us to do. The things he asks us to do are, are, are found in verse 17, it says, he said, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Man, that is what the church is all about. We've spoken up for, for, for less people groups before, and we need to do so again. There, there's brothers and sisters who don't have a voice. Nobody can hear their cries. It's up to us to stand up for them, to speak on behalf of them, spread what we know about them, about, about, about the issues and about the truth. If we need to, man, I encourage you guys, if, if you're in Wichita or Kansas City, go to those places. Go to pray that, that God would, would stop that, that God, God would lead his church to speak out against that. And then the last, this is take up the cause of the fatherless. Being pro-life is more, more than just getting them born, right? There, there are, there's many people like hundreds and thousands in Kansas alone that, that are waiting to be adopted. If you go to uh, adopting Kansas, or Kansas kids, there, there's lists of pictures, of names, of ages. And each one of those, man, needs a family. Not only that, but th- there are even more than that, kids who are in, in our foster care system. They have to be removed from their family for any number of reasons, from, from a couple days to even longer than that. And I, I feel like 
God has equipped our church, not just Crestview, but his church, as uniquely uh, gifted to care for that. Man, we are a family, and we need to be welcoming the fatherless into our homes and caring for them. If you guys have any kind of, uh, man, if God is laying this on your heart, even just a little bit, I encourage you guys to, to head out to the lobby after we're done. Uh, a guy named Dave Cook is out there. He's a, a member of our church, and he's wearing a, a blue shirt and a blue hat. He's a foster dad, has been for some time, and, and he, he loves uh, the kids that, that are in his house, and he's passionate about getting other people started in the same way. So if, if you have a question about what might be that next step, I encourage you guys to talk to him. Let's go ahead and pray to close. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to speak your truth. Lord, uh, man, it, it affects our heart. It weighs it down. But Lord, I, uh, we're, we're not going to be crushed because we know that you're, you're with us. Lord, I pray that we can join you in the work that you're doing to restore our world. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to speak up on behalf of our uh, unborn brothers and sisters. You're, you're my prayer. Amen.